Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today, the words of our Lord Jesus, which he spoke, referring to the event that was reported in the Gospel, the feeding of the 5,000, our Lord Jesus said, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man shall give unto you. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. A bit of Jewish humor. An old man goes to a diner every day for lunch. He always orders the soup du jour, and one day the owner of the diner asks him how he likes his lunch. And the old man replies, well, it was good, but you could give a little more bread. Two slices of bread is not enough. And so the next day the owner tells the waitress, give the old man four slices of bread. How was your meal? The owner asks, well, it was good but you could give a little bit more bread, comes the reply. And so the next day, the owner tells the waitress, give him eight slices of bread. How was your meal today, sir? And he says, well, it was good, but you could give me a little bit more bread. And so the next day, the owner tells the waitress, give him a whole loaf of bread, give him 16 slices with his soup. How was your meal, sir? Well, the old man says it was good, but you could just give me a little bit more bread. Frustrated, Obsessed with seeing his old customer dissatisfied, the owner goes to the bakery early in the morning and he orders a six-foot-long piece of bread, loaf of bread. He returns with it to his diner again, and when the man comes in for lunch, as usual, the waitress and the owner cut the loaf in half. They butter both sides of the thing. They give it to the old man, put it right on the counter along his bowl of soup. He sits down slowly and methodically, he sips at the bowl of soup, and he eats both halves of the six-foot-long loaf of bread. And the owner now thinks, now finally I'm going to get the answer that I've been looking for. And so when the old man comes to the register to pay for his meal, the owner confidently asks, and how was your meal today, sir? And the old man replies, it was good, but I see that you're back to serving only two slices of bread again. Try as hard as he might, try as hard as he could, he couldn't provide his old customer with that bread that satisfies. And isn't it that way really with everything that exists in this world in which we live? Never lasts long enough. Doesn't last forever. Try as hard as you might, try as hard as you will, buy as much as you will, and ultimately it isn't good enough, it isn't long enough to last isn't good enough to endure for more than a few hours or for more than a few years or perhaps a few decades at most. Why? Because all of it eventually spoils, all of it eventually rusts, all of it eventually wears away. And so does the man who trusts in it. So does the man who trusts in any created thing. He goes the way of all flesh. There's nothing that would satisfy meat among men, that sin-created emptiness that exists within the human soul. We brought nothing into this world, Scripture says, and for sure we're not going to take anything out of it either. And so the Lord Jesus says, don't work for that food that perishes. You see what he's telling his disciples, what he's declaring to us all, is that there is something that's far more important than the many perishable things that we're exposed to so often in our world, all of the perishable things that surround us, there's something that's so much more important than that with, for which we work so hard and so long in our lives. 
There is indeed something, there is indeed someone who outlasts and who outlives all things that we acquire, the things that have their little day and then they're gone, the things that we give so much of our time to and yet they present us nothing, the things that are ultimately as subject to the destructive forces of nature and our sin as we are. And that someone that he directs us to in our text for today, that someone that he directs us to is himself. It's Christ himself. As one writer put it, Christ is the food to fill the emptiness that gnaws away at us, an emptiness that won't be filled by our fast food self-help programs or the junk food of man-made religions. Jesus, he says, is the food that doesn't spoil. Jesus is the food that does not spoil. All other food, he says, is dead. The carrots, the cow, the cauliflower, it's all dead. And we all eat it to our death. And he's right, isn't he? We eat our way right into the grave, and we surely don't eat our way out of it unless, unless we are partakers by faith of what our Lord Jesus Christ himself says today is that food that endures unto eternal life. That food which he identifies as being himself, the bread of life, he says, of which we may eat and live forever. The living bread that's come down from heaven, he says. Heaven's manna in the wilderness of our world. Christ is indeed our death-defying. He's our death-denying. He's our death-defeating Lord. That's what our Lord is setting before his disciples of every age through the miracle which St. Matthew reports in the Gospel reading for today. Beginning with only five barley loaves and two fish, Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 people and more. Why? That their hungry stomachs might be filled as they go away? Well, I suppose in part, because after all, the Lord, as we sang in the first hymn this morning, cares for our bodies even as he cares for our soul. He is a compassionate God who opens his hands, Scripture says, and satisfies the desire of every living thing. But there was much more to it when he said that he was going to fulfill fill them with all that they needed. He obviously has much more in mind than giving them food for the body. He performed this miracle, this multiplication of fish and bread. He performed this miracle as he did so many others that those who beheld the miracle with their very own eyes, those who held in their hands this phenomenal wonder bread that they did, those who had touched their mouths this miraculous manna from heaven might see the manna maker for who he really was. That was the intent behind these miracles. You see, the, like the miraculous miracles that had occurred before this that we heard about in the gospel today, the, the healing of the sick that Jesus had done so often, and the miraculous stilling of the storm at sea that we'll hear about in next Sunday's gospel, or the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 that we hear about today. It's a sign, all of it's a sign, a sign pointing beyond itself to something that's even more important than itself, beyond the immediate physical needs graciously being met by the almighty power of God, a sign that points beyond all of that to the very identity and the very saving work of the one who's performing these miracles. For here, standing before the 5,000 plus people, here indeed is God embodied in human flesh, 
Here, the very divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ working through bone and through muscle and through skin and flesh, which it had become to be the truest of man, to tend so awesomely and yet so tenderly to the flesh and the muscle and the bone needs of other men and women and children. He became what we are so that he could suffer all that we deserve to suffer and that he could give us indeed all that we needed to have. And yet so many didn't see these signs for what they were intended to be, pointing beyond themselves to the very Christ who was there with them. They didn't see Jesus for who he really was, blinded by their own sinful nature as man is to the real wonder of it all, that God would become man and be there for them and dwell among them, blinded by that sinful nature to the real wonder of it all and to their own personal need for him. They simply couldn't see what was standing right there before them. They couldn't see the one who had come to give them immortal life to their souls. And thus it was that Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw these miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You see, they all saw the miracle performed. They saw Jesus perform the miracle, but despite that, they didn't actually see Jesus for who he really was and for who he is. They didn't see Jesus of Nazareth as God in the flesh and so in receiving the miracle bread, they received nothing more than bread for the belly. Bread, which Jesus said, was nothing more than food that would perish because food without Christ does indeed only serve us for a time and then we too would perish with it. And it's so human of them, wasn't it, to react in that way, so sinfully human just as it is for all of those who from time to time and for too much of the time get so caught up in the acquiring of things and the maintaining of things in this world, the bread of this world, if you will, the tangible, the physical, the, the material things of this world that satisfy us physically for a time, our desires being satisfied for the short term but have so little to do with the long-term nature of reality. So caught up are we in those short-term things of this world that we neglect and we so often are inclined to crowd out and to push out of the way those very things that deal with eternity. So caught up in investing for the near future, as we do for a brief time here, that we become callous and careless and cold concerning the far greater investment that has already been made for us to secure our eternal future. And that's what our Lord Jesus would have us consider today, dear friends, that investment that he has made. Consider it because no greater investment has been made in your life now or hereafter than that which the Lord Jesus Christ has made for you. No greater investment has been made. Consider it because no created thing in all of the universe and all of heaven and anywhere here upon earth, no investment has ever come close or ever will come close or can come close to matching in value the priceless treasure which God has already invested in you. You were not redeemed, St. Peter says, with perishable things like silver and gold. No, he says, you were redeemed with precious blood. A lamb unblemished and spotless, even the, the imperishable blood of Jesus Christ. No greater investment could be made in your future than that which already has been made, which God has made for you through his sin-bearing son. There on the cross of Calvary, epitomized by the crucifixes we have, 
There on that cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ took upon himself your sin, mine, the sin of all the world, and there paid for it in full, paid the debt that we owe that we never ourselves could have paid in a million and a trillion million years. You know, Scripture says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And now because of him, we are indeed the richest of people, beneficiaries by faith of that divine investment which God has made in Christ for you, possessors of all that heaven holds, because that which is Christ is ours in him, possessors indeed of all that heaven holds and all that the future with Christ contains. That's yours, rich indeed. Born again, St. Peter says, to a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain what? To an obtain an inheritance. An inheritance that's imperishable. An inheritance, he says, that's undefiled, that will not fade away, that's reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed at the end of time. All of that's yours because Christ does what we could never do, an inheritable in, inheritance that's, that's indeed imperishable. How much better can you get than that? Search the whole world over and you won't get any better than that. Earth knows no equal, and that's why heaven wants you to focus not on yourself and on what you might acquire in the bread of this earth, but rather to focus upon the bread from heaven that has been the one who has come to purchase all for you. Don't work for the food that perishes, but that which endures unto eternal life, which the Son of Man gives unto you. For on him God the Father has fixed his seal of approval, Scripture says. You want the approval of God? Isn't that what people desire? Silly. It is that they would strive for it, but it's already been provided for them and what Christ has done. You want the approval of God. You, you want the eternal life which that approval of God brings, the inheritance that excels all others. And stop looking at yourself. Cling only to his Son, his Son upon whom God the Father has fixed his eternal seal of approval. His Son, our text says, who gives you who gives you that which you could not buy, gives you that eternal life. His son of whom St. John said, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has that life. He who does not have the son, Scripture says, does not have the life. Is it any wonder, therefore, that St. Peter asks, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. His Son who conveys to you through His Word that you hear, through His sacraments that you receive, His Son who conveys to you that very life that is His. In fact, Luther, speaking of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which he says is the imperishable food of Christ's very body and blood, Luther put it this way. He said, Jesus is our chef, Jesus is our waiter. Jesus is our food. 
Jesus is the one, he says, who prepared salvation for us on the cross like a chef would prepare, then serves it to us now as a waiter would serve it to us now. He comes to, to seek and to serve those that are lost. He also is the one who serves us now, even himself, as he gives us, even here today, his very body and blood. Our chef, our waiter, our food. Little wonder that Jesus calls himself the bread of life. The bread of life for the life, he says, of the world. Consider all those things. And as you do, you will do what saints before you have done. You will marvel at the magnificent grace of God. You'll marvel at his grace toward you. Heaven's wealth is yours undeserved. And yet it's yours. Marvel that someday by God's grace you're going to stand on eternal ground and you're going to hear God say after he's wiped away every tear from your eyes, behold, he's going to say, I make all things new and we'll have a whole universe of things to explore. In a few weeks, my wife and I will be returning to Minnesota to visit my mother. Whenever during the past few years I've returned to my hometown and I see what time has done to it, I can't help but think of that one modern author who wrote about his return to his hometown. I've shared it with you before, but it bears repeating because it's something with which so many of us can so easily identify. The last time I shared it with you, my mother, like the mother of the writer, was in her own home still. But time has changed that. Now she's in a nursing home. The home of my childhood stands empty for the first time since it was built 55, 60 years ago. It'll be hard to see it that way, but that's the way things are because things change. Time changes things. And that's why the writer that I refer to says it's hard to see things grow old the town in which I grew up, he says, is growing old. I was there recently. Some of the buildings are boarded up. Some of the houses are torn down. Some of my teachers are now retired. Some of them are buried. The old movie house has a for sale sign on the marquee, and the only visitors to the drive-in theater are tumbleweeds and rodents. Memories of first dates and senior proms are weather-worn by the endless rain of years. High school sweethearts are divorced. A cheerleader died of an aneurysm. Our fastest quarterback is buried only a few plots for my own father. I wish I could make it all new again. I wish I could blow the dust off the streets. I wish I could walk through the familiar neighborhood and wave to the familiar faces and pet the familiar dogs and hit one more home run in the little league park. I wish I could walk down Main Street and call out the merchants that have retired and open the doors that have long been boarded up. I wish I could make everything new. But I can't. Would that I could wave the wand and make everything new again. Would that I could put my mother once again in the strong embrace of the man she loved and buried. Would that I could stretch out the wrinkles and take off the bifocals and restore the spring to her step again. Would that I could make everything new. But I can't. I can't. But God can. 
He restores my soul, wrote the shepherd. He doesn't merely reshape it. He restores it. He doesn't merely camouflage the old. He restores the new. The master builder pulls out the original plan and he restores it and he restores the vigor and he restores the energy and he restores the hope. He restores the soul. Those words strike a familiar chord in all of us, don't they? And so also do these sacred words, Behold, I make all things new. Is it any wonder that he asks, when you see how this world grows stooped and weary and old, and then you read of a home where everything is made new and stays new, tell me, doesn't it want to make you go home? In fact, is there anything in all of earth, dear friend, that you would take in exchange for a home like that where all that is endures forever? Work not, therefore, for that which perishes, but hold fast, Jesus says. Hold fast to that which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man gives unto you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.